This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by the new book Something Deeply Hidden, Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Space-Time by Sean Carroll, who is our guest back in episode 344. Theoretical astrophysicist Katie Mack writes, Carroll gives us a front-row seat to the development of a new vision of physics, one that connects our everyday experiences to a dizzying Hall of Mirrors universe in which our very sense of self is challenged. Learn more over at preposterousuniverse.com. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 378 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing awesomely bad 70s and 80s science fiction movies. And this is a follow-up to our panel on awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies back in episode 371, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And this will include spoilers for the movie Zardoz, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Flash Gordon, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the 8th Dimension, and The Ice Pirates, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her ninth appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future Anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and is currently a staff writer at WWE SmackDown Live. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. Then next up, we've got Tom Gerentzer, making his eighth appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy and in books such as New Voices and Science Fiction. His nonfiction book, Think Like Google, is out now. And his short story, All Our Donkeys Were in Vain, appears in the new anthology, The Best of Galaxy's Edge, 2015 to 2017. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be back. And also joining us today is Matthew Kressel, also making his eighth appearance on the show. He's the author of the novel King of Shards, and his short story, The Last Novelist, or A Dead Lizard in the Yard, was nominated for the Nebula Award and was a finalist for the Yuji Foster Memorial Award. Together with Ellen Datlow, he hosts the monthly Fantastic Fiction Reading Series at the KGB Bar in New York. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be back. And today's show is brought to you by the new book, Something Deeply Hidden by Sean Carroll. And here's a description of the book. It says... In his audacious yet entirely reasonable new book, Something Deeply Hidden, theoretical physicist and celebrated science writer Sean Carroll tackles one of the most otherworldly facets of quantum mechanics, the many worlds theory, which claims that copies of all of us are generated thousands of times per second. Called irresistible and an absolute treat to read by Yale University theoretical astrophysicist Priyamvada Natarajan, Something Deeply Hidden methodically builds the case for this mind-bending revelation and utterly transforms how we think about space and time in the process. Something Deeply Hidden is available now wherever books are sold. Jan Eleven, author of Black Hole Blues, calls Something Deeply Hidden a fascinating and important book, and Brian Green, who is our guest back in episode 60, calls the book a thrilling tour through what is perhaps humankind's greatest intellectual achievement, quantum mechanics. With bold clarity, Carol deftly unmasks quantum weirdness to reveal a strange but utterly wondrous reality. So again, the book is Something Deeply Hidden by Sean Carroll, and you can learn more over at preposterousuniverse.com. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Okay, and so the first thing I want to explain for people who listened to our previous panel is that the original plan was to do awesomely bad 80s fantasy and science fiction movies, and then we split that up into two panels. So this is the science fiction one. But then everyone wanted to talk about Flash Gordon, which is 1980. <laughs> and I figure you can't really talk about Flash Gordon without also talking about Buck Rogers, because the two characters are so intertwined, their histories. And that's 1979. So we were already like getting out of the 80s a little bit. 
And then a bunch of people recommended Zardoz, which is 1974. And I'd never seen it. I'd just seen the image of Sean Connery in the weird diaper bandoliers <laughs> boots thing. Bo- and I was just really... Borat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Borat. I was just really curious. I'm like, I really want to watch it. And when I'm, when am I going to get a chance, if not now? So, so I decided to bend the rules a little bit and make this 70s and 80s. Um, but I think that kind of fits because the awesomely bad sort of the crest for fantasy movies really was solidly within the 80s. But I feel like it sort of straddled the decade of the, you know, the late 70s to early 80s for science fiction. So, uh, I really felt like we could, uh, you know, like I said, bend the rules a little bit. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, so Andrew, do you, do you have anything you want to add to that? Did you uh, you think that the we we should be talking about the seventies and in, in this as part Ab- of this trend? Absolutely. They sort of you know go together. They're of a piece, and seventies led to eighties. And also, if you're talking about seventies science fiction, you can't not talk about Star Wars, which influenced everything after it. Um, so, I, I think you really have to include the seventies. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you, Andrea, were you familiar with all these movies before I, uh, I, I had seen all of them except Zardoz. Yes. Um, some of them more than others. I've, I've seen, uh, Buckaroo Banzai and Flash Gordon a million times because I love them. Um, definitely seen the other ones only once though. And then Zardoz. Wow. That was a interesting <laughs> experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to that. But so, how about uh, how well, about we sure Ma- will? <laughs> <laughs> how about Mad? Did you um, had you seen all these movies before? Or? Uh, I'm the same as Andrea, so I had seen all of them uh, except Zardoz. Um, I've only seen Buckaroo Banzai like once before this, so I, I rewatched it recently for the first time in maybe 20 years. Yeah, so that so three of the uh, two of the five were were relatively new for me. Mm. How about Tom? Yeah, I'd, I'd seen them all. Uh, I watched a couple of them in the theater, and then the other ones I just caught on TV, especially Zardoz. I remember my brother, I had a brother who's like 15 years older than me, and I remember sitting one Sunday afternoon, it was on, and I was like, what the heck is this? My, <laughs> and my, my brother always invariably did this. He'd be walking through right around the time I was wondering, like, should I be watching this? And he'd go, oh, this is a great movie. You've got to watch this. And then so I'd be like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. And I'd be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but, uh, that was the experience I had with Zardoz. So so which ones, Tom, did you see in the theater? Uh, let me just go through my notes. I saw Buck Rogers in the theater and Ice Pirates, and that's it, actually. Oh, okay. So you actually, okay. So tell us about seeing Buck Rogers in the theater. Um, that was like, am I, correct me if I'm wrong. Did that, that came out after, yeah, that came out after Star Wars, correct? Yeah. Correct. So Star Wars um, is 77 and Buck Rogers is 79. I think Star Wars is yeah. 76. Nope. 77. 77? 70, definitely hmm. 77. Yeah. Hmm. It's the year I was born. So I, I know it because my mom was <laughs> pregnant with me when she went to see it. Ah, yeah, okay. and I've and I've I've got a friend who's a huge movie buff who uh, we have conversations all the time about movies, and he has corrected me many times about <laughs> you know definitely seventy seven Tom. So um so anyway yeah I I had seen Star Wars in the theater actually with this movie buff buff friend when we were I was seven and he was eight or I was I was eight and he was nine and uh, you know. Uh, Oh, totally world changing. I remember my, my mom even liked it. She was like, Oh, it was like a fruit salad. There was like a little bit of everything <laughs> for everybody. I was so excited about it. And then, um, and then, you know, anything science fiction after that was okay with me. So I went to see Buck Rogers in the theater too. And I was like, Oh, sweet. Another Star Wars movie. And I was 
greatly disappointed, but in a way I wasn't because I mean, let's be honest, I was, you know, I was uh, ten years old, so I was like, yeah, cool. There's lasers and stuff, and there's yeah. there's pretty women, and it's kind of like a James Bond movie, and um, <laughs> I don't know. I was I was kind of like thought it was okay, but looking back on it, I felt absolutely no nostalgia for that movie. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's just coming in the wake of, it's like so dramatically inferior to Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Trying to do the same thing. It, it seems like you would, it would be hard not to notice that watching them yeah. uh, close together. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, so let me tell you a, bit, a little bit about the history of Buck Rogers that I researched. So Buck Rogers, the character first appeared in the pulp science fiction magazine Amazing Stories in 1928. And the character was adapted into a newspaper comic strip the next year in 1929. Uh, it was adapted into a radio serial in 1932, and it was actually the first science fiction program on radio. Uh, and there were also there was a film serial in 39 and a ABC TV series in 1950. So the character was incredibly popular to the extent that for people who didn't read science fiction, weren't really science fiction fans, Buck Rogers and science fiction became pretty much synonymous and lots of the general public would just describe science fiction as quote that Buck Rogers stuff. Um, and mm. so, so then after star Wars was so popular, uh, they made a total ripoff of it called Battlestar Galactica. And then that did well enough that the same producer of that Glenn, a Larson, he was going to see if lightning would strike twice. And this Buck Rogers in the 25th century thing was his, uh, you know, attempt to replicate the success of uh, Battlestar Galactica, at least the uh, financial success of Battlestar Galactica. Um, so how about, uh, let's go back to Andrea. So um, what did you think watching Buck Rogers in the 25th century? Well, I remember the TV show and this was in fact the pilot for it, but they released it um, in the theaters. Uh, I remember seeing it, but only once. And I, honest to God, absolutely shocked by how terrible it was. Um, <laughs> you, you saw just, you remember just watching one random episode of the TV show? Uh, no, I, re I remember, I saw several episodes. I think I really liked it. Um, yeah. Not as much as Battlestar Galactica. I was obsessed with Battlestar Galactica. Um, mm. But I saw the series and I remember seeing this as the pilot and I think they ran it on TV as well. I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, th this pilot slash movie was just terrible not and just from the beginning the opening credits with the women in in mylar bikinis i don't remember that at all and just shocking in its blatant sexuality for no apparent reason um so that was my first impression of it was why are all these women mostly naked and rubbing themselves all over gil gerard um, well, well, let me let me talk about that because when I wa I watched it on NBC.com and the intro that I watched was actually I thought pretty cool. It was not that one. It was you sort of see him kind of falling into this like expanding circles of of right. the future, and it has. I this think that voiceover. was the that was the TV right. uh, open, not the film open. Right, and okay. they put it on they put it on the NBC pilot movie version, mm -hmm. but that was the TV open. But I, I read a a little piece about that how they. The original open was the one you saw, Andrea, mm. for the for the movie, because they were trying to go for like a James Bond opening where they had yeah. you know, like James Bond always had like these women like floating yep. around in space right. with their hair flying around and holding guns and all. Well, this it weird... makes sense now that you say that. Total makes total sense. It looks exactly yeah. the same. 
Yeah, so they went for that, and then when they were putting it on TV, they're like, "What? What was that opening supposed to be? That has nothing to do with the movie or anything. Let's just let's just change it and make it more like have to do with the with the TV series." And they're like, "Okay, fine, that makes sense." Was the producer uh, was uh, Broccoli? What's his name? Also a producer on this. He's on producer on one of these movies. Who was oh, the producer of all the all the uh, James, James Bond, Bond movies? I, I didn't um, notice him. I did. I made I, a I note, so I'm wondering. He's definitely um, J- the James Bond guy, but I didn't notice that he was connected with Buck Rogers at all. Uh, one of them is shoot. I know one of them is. I didn't. I guess I didn't make that note, but yeah, broccoli was is. It might be this one, which might <laughs> explain that opening right. and this John, James Bond. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, because for for people who haven't seen it, I mean, and by the way, Dave, I love that you said. Be, beware because we're going to have spoilers for these because you're going to ruin lives with this if you don't say that. <laughs> but, uh, but, cause, but, but I, you know, when I was watching that opening, I was like, I don't know, I, I was just kind of blown away by it too. And, um, I had, a, I had a point, but I think it's gone. It's, it's gone off into space 1999 or something. Well, well let me, let me oh, just, let me just set, yeah, let me just set up what this show is about. Um, so yeah, so there's this fighter pilot in the year 1987, I think, and he, um, and he goes off on some, uh, experimental rocket or spaceship or something. And there's some sort of weird accident and he, and he ends up getting through, through an odd confluence of circumstances put into suspended animation. And then his ship is retrieved 500 years in the future, at which point Earth has been pretty much completely destroyed in some sort of, I think, a nuclear war or something like that. And there's basically just one city where everyone lives. And so it's very precarious. And they Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah new new yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and there actually nah, 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 there might have been a couple other cities now that I think about it. But but basically there, there's not that many people left. And they have no crops, right? And so they, they have yeah. to negotiate with aliens for crops. And so there's this, uh, these aliens called the Draconians who they somehow from the name are not able to guess are bad guys, uh, <laughs> who they're going to trade with. But the Draconians are a, uh, sort of an evil galactic empire and are secretly running pirate attacks against Earth's forces and are planning to uh, double-cross them and, and conquer Earth as, as Buck Rogers arrives on the scene. Um, and so, uh, so, so Andrew, you said that your um, initial impressions were that this was terrible. Um, let's, get, let's get Matt in here. Do you agree? Were, were your impressions, first impressions, that this was terrible? It's a terrible show. Um, <laughs> you know, um, as a kid, I loved it. Anytime it was on, I'm like, oh, my God, Buck Rogers. Um, and I remember liking it like any episode until Tweaky showed up. And then Tweaky showed up. I'm like, hey, Tweaky, leave. Get out. You're so annoying. You can speak English. Why do you speak in this beady, beady, beady? Like, oh, I want to just like break that machine so much. Um, can, I, uh, can I bring up one thing? Yeah. I was looking on the IMDb. The voice of uh, Tweaky is Mel Blank. Is Mel yeah. Blank? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bugs Bunny guy. Yeah, that that yeah. that uh, freaked me out too because I grew up with with Tweaky as well, and I I remember I actually liked him when I was a kid. How old were you, Matt? When you were when you were? When oh you hated God, him? I I I was probably ten or something, maybe. Okay, so I we mean, were the it, we're, yeah. we're the same age then, but I, I I liked him, and I remember kids in school like imitating him. And now I look back at it, I feel exactly the same way you do now. I'm like, why did they? What is the point with this robot? But I remember, well, he's a very obvious R2D2 like ripoff. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah, and I, actually, they were just going to have him. I read uh, the piece of trivia that they were just going to have him talk in that kind of beady, 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 like just kind of like beeps and and boops and stuff. And then somebody else was going to be his translator. Like somebody can only speak for him. And then they were going to kind of. I think it was the um, what's the his doctor? name? The, the well, no, the the round, the kind of uh, coin shaped robot. Um, AI. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Doctor Theo. Theo. Yeah, that's it. Doctor Theopolis. Sorry, that that is him. Yeah, but I think they were going to have him be his translator. But then it's almost exactly like C three PO and R two D. Well, he kind of does that. He kind of does translate for him. But then, but then Tweaky speaks English as well. And then when Tweaky speaks, he sounds like a Catskill comic. You know, he's like (laughs) Lachaim. You know, that's right. Like what? Direct quote. You're speaking in robot language, and you can say Lachaim when he drinks a toast. Like what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. So 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 yeah the. And, um, I, yeah, I feel like, like everything in the show is such an obvious ripoff of Star Wars, even yeah. though obviously the yeah. character goes back farther. But it, it's obvious that I, my understanding is that Buck Rogers character was a, a different sort of personality, but they've obviously tried to make him Han Solo. And they've yeah. obviously tried to have the dynamic between him and, um, um, uh, something with it. What's the, with an M? Uh, oh, Wil- Wilma, or Wil- Wilma, 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 right? Wilma, yeah, yeah, Wilma. Like have a Han Solo Princess Leia dynamic between yeah, them, yeah. and it's like trying to do that, but it's like so falling flat. You know, I mean, he's just utterly insufferable. <laughs> I- I've found. Um, yeah, I couldn't stand him. Yeah. Although I have to say, Erin Gray just she played it straight, and she, I, she was good for for like what they gave her. I was like, you know what, she did a she did a really good job with what they gave her. She was the best thing about the whole show, which isn't right. saying a lot, but she was, she was real. Yeah. She, as far as everything else goes, she outshined everybody else. Yeah. That's, that, that really isn't saying very much. <laughs> no, no, but, you know. She but was yeah, trying but- to do that strong woman, but also, but I, you know, I'm not as. What, oh, what did she was, say? What that point? was infuriating. Was, oh god, that was absolutely infuriating. It was like it was like, oh, I'm in charge of the security forces for an entire planet. But you know what? Now that this guy from 500 years ago is here, I realize that really I'm just a barfly. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a woman too. She's like, you do something to me, or I feel something. What did she say to him? What was that? Like, I, I've never the felt ball? these. I've never felt I've these never... feelings before. I don't know what's <laughs> happening to me. And, it, which is amazing because honestly, he's from 500 years in their past. I am from I'm from 40 years in the past of people right now. And trust me, my complete misunderstanding of social norms from this decade <laughs> have not helped me in any way at all. I don't have that Buck Rogers glow about me at all. So I, I find it hard to believe that those people are so taken with him. Right. I don't want to get ahead, too ahead, but I'll, I'll just point out parenthetically that this is not the last time we're going to see attractive women inexplicably throwing themselves yeah. at the main character. <laughs> nope. In sure this episode. <laughs> um, and I mean, I would just say, you know, I'd never watched this before. And so I, I was just like, this isn't even awesomely bad. This is just bad. I don't know what people yeah, were I, recommending it for. But then yeah, I thought actually I when it got to the uh, part where he teaches them how to dance, like disco dance. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm like, okay, this is actually getting kind of awesome here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was awesomely bad. I, I made notes of it. He says, I'm going to teach you how to get down and <laughs> yeah. let's boogie. Let's I was like, boogie. oh, that's so painful. It was yeah. so painful. Yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> And so, uh, so, so my girlfriend Stephanie walks by, like, wa- during that scene, <laughs> and she just sort of like stops and stares at it. She's like, 
is this real? You know, is like, because <laughs> it's, it's like functionally indistinguishable from Austin Powers or something like that. Like, yes. you know, like yeah. it feels yeah. like a pair, you know, it's not, I don't think intended as a parody, but it just, it feels no. so parodic. Yeah. It was, it was not a parody. They were, they were serious. <laughs> yeah. They were dead serious. I, Cause I remember back then, I remember how it felt back then to be like, oh yeah, well it makes sense. Like if he goes into the future and everything's different, of course everybody's going to want to be like we are. Like disco was cool back then, you know, it was like, oh, well not to everybody, but a lot of people thought disco was cool. So it's like, yeah, you go in the future and people are going to be like, oh, what's this disco? Yeah. Okay. This is great. You're right. <laughs> All you got to do is wave your hand at the DJ. Just let loose. Just let yeah, loose. Yeah. And disco comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Terrible. Terrible. So, yeah, I don't know if there's actually, honestly, a lot to say. Let's see. What else do I have in my notes? Well, the costumes actually, are interesting. Can I, can I, yeah, can I, I was just going to comment on that, Matt. Uh, Princess Amidala, was she a Vegas showgirl who got, like, transported? No, Ar- Ardala. Ardala. Right. Oh, Ardala. Star Wars. Oh, pardon me. Well, anyway, like, what was, what was that Versace, like, thing she was wearing? I was like, where did she, she looks like she came straight off the stage in Vegas, like, the whole yeah. like bikini. She goes to like yeah, a state bikini. function and she's wearing like a bikini and a giant gold hat and like yep, the crystal bikini is what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, that was that was crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, I I only watched this this pilot movie thing, but just from stuff I read, it, it sounds like they were they really did do a James Bond kind of thing where there would be some beautiful some different beautiful woman every episode that he would have some sort of romance with or something. Yeah. So I mean, right. you know. Yeah, the, the, there was one episode I remember from a kid where the 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 beautiful woman was she was like the winner of some intergalactic uh beauty contest but the but the beauty her beauty was her perfect genes. She she was per, she had perfect genetics. And I was like even as a kid I was like really? Uh that's huh. a, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, did, not, did, not... Did, did did that cause the robot to say Great body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote Probably. that note down too. I wrote the great body note down too. <laughs> and then the, after the kiss, after he kisses Wilma, he makes some joke about easy on reentry, and I'm like, oh, oh no, I, I missed that. Oh my god, it was yeah. so terrible. I love yeah. how he redecorated his apartment with like the Italian tablecloth and the um, like big pepper shaker like as if that <laughs> reminds him of home and then the weird like coffee table that's just like a giant piece of tree that like <laughs> i was like where did he get this taste from and also they're just like oh yeah sure we have a a big hunk of giant driftwood yeah. in, our, in our archives you can have that for your coffee table <laughs> well but but to, to to andrew's point i mean he had all sorts of pervy lines i mean like almost the first thing he says to her is like i'll stay on your tail like and then he oh, gets yeah, like yes, exactly. smile. yeah and then it, and he like raises his eyebrows when he <laughs> says it he's like uh-huh. um there was something else I was oh and he's like uh, I never forget a knuckle when he's kissing her hand oh, like, oh yeah oh god it was yeah, so was bad did you guys catch in one scene this is kind of off that topic a little bit but in one scene there was like this absolutely futuristic suspended ceiling did you catch that? No. It was like it was like no. the it was like acoustic tile with like the metal strips in between it. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Five hundred years from now, they'll have that. Yeah, sure. Or or in the eighties. Exactly. I, yeah, I I didn't catch that. I, that reminds me though. I mean, one thing I did like was how they had sort of the conclave of AIs basically yeah. running yeah, the society. Was, yeah, yeah, they were all males though. If you know, did I don't know if you noticed? Of course. I, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> 
Well, we they're, don't want to get we don't want to get crazy or anything. They're genderless like AIs. Like, why are they all? Hey, look, we gave you a, a female general. What more do you want? Although, right. although the one that Twiggy carries around, he's always sort of hitting on Buck. He's like Buck. You look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you notice that? Yes. He's like, you're a very handsome man, Buck. <laughs> well, oh, my God. Uh, you know, oh, he did say these AIs are different from your computers. They said they, they can, their feelings can be hurt. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. Well, yeah, but, but everyone is just blown away by the sheer manly, you know, virility of Buck Rogers, even if you're a robot, yes. you know, so, right. um, and I guess I, we can, uh, I don't know. There's much more to say about Rogers, so maybe we can get into Flash Gordon. But I mean, it's like they're basically the same story. You know, it's, it, they're both yeah, the story yeah. of this like, you know, alpha male American guy who ends up in the future slash outer space and confronts an effete, decadent, pseudo Asian kind of evil empire. Yes, I was going to bring up that point that when you finally see Ardala's father, King Draco. He looks like Ming the Merciless. Right. Well, yeah. so actually... Yeah, I, and even the costumes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so basically, yeah, so what happened was I said this Buck Rogers um, newspaper comic uh, was super popular, and so they actually, you know, some other, you know, newspaper or something was like, oh, we need something to compete with Buck Rogers, and that's how they came up with Flash Gordon, and they basically uh. just, like, filed the serial numbers off of Buck Rogers and <laughs> changed the name to Flash Gordon, and but it's it's almost exactly the same story. Yeah. yeah, um, It is, but, but you know, you, you were talking about, you're reciting the plot, and it's actually, like, a really cool concept that the, the execution is just terrible, terrible. but the whole concept right. of, like... This guy is like 500 for 500 years. He's frozen in space and he comes back and Earth has been destroyed in a nuclear war. And he like gets in and like starts helping out with things. I mean, it's such a cool. And there's this like evil empire like trying to attack the Earth and everything. It's well, that's cool... that's Farscape. It, it, I mean, it, it, Farscape is basically Buck Rogers, except he, instead of he's catapulted into the future, he's catapulted across the galaxy. But I, I, yeah, I mean, that's a different show, but I thought Farscape yeah. did it much well, better. Yeah, that's, that's done, kind of a tangent, better. but I'll just add, yeah, that the, the Farscape intro is almost exactly the same as the original yeah, exactly. Buck Rogers intro. Which, um, which you're right, it's a really cool intro. Like that intro, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then the rest of the show is terrible. But <laughs> I, I feel like even in 1928, though, that was already a pretty familiar idea in science fiction. I mean, there was H.G. Wells' The Sleeper Wakes. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think the idea of someone from the present waking up in the future was pretty well established. I don't know how but often not on wait. TV. Not yeah, on yeah, TV. Well, it was, right. it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty groundbreaking for for that day. They just could not resist turning it into like chips in space. <laughs> yeah, well, because you know, um, you know, Har Harlan Ellison had talked about trying to adapt Asimov's um, iRobot into a a movie. And it was going along pretty well, and then Star Wars came out, and then he says, like, then they just wanted everything to be like Star Wars. It had to have cute robots and like blah blah blah. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I just think in the yeah in the immediate a aftermath of Star Wars, studios were just like they could only yeah. see Star Wars dollar signs, and, and nothing else was gonna was gonna fly at that time. Right. Yeah. Well, one one bright spot is that this and the other like really bad science fiction of the of the same era is what Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was lampooning. So I think. I think, you know, probably a young Douglas Adams was watching this stuff and going, or maybe not so young, but yeah, maybe like yeah. In early 20s. Yeah. 20s, was watch, yeah. Was watching this stuff and going, this is so awful. And like, I, just have to make, <laughs> yeah. I just have to make fun of this. And that's like where it all came from. Mm. 
All right, well, I'm, I'm surprised nobody's tried to reboot Buck Rogers the way they rebooted Battlestar Galactica. Um, didn't they? Or, or am I did they? Misremi- I, or, or they, I know they tried Flash Gordon. Yeah, they did. Re- Sci-Fi rebooted Flash Gordon. Did they? Wow, I missed that. Yeah, yeah you, it was. You, I admit, you, didn't, you did not. <laughs> I, that's what I'm guessing. If I didn't yeah. see it, it must have been bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's 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 talk about Flash Gordon because I mean, I think Andrea is. All of you are fans of Flash Gordon, right? Or maybe oh, not God. Tom. Yes. Uh, I'm, I, not a, I, I'm not a massive fan of it, but I love. There are things. It's definitely awesomely bad. Oh, I'll give it that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> all right well let me let me just say say first so it's there's a lot of funny stories associated with this movie but one of them is that this um producer uh dino de Laurentiis controlled the rights to flash gordon and george lucas wanted to make a flash gordon movie and so he approached him and dino de Laurentiis wouldn't give him the rights to make a flash gordon movie and so um george lucas went with his backup plan which was to just make up his own movie similar movie and that was star wars wow um so that's kind of an interesting bit of history there. But so, um, so uh, Andrea, why do you like Flash Gordon so much? Because it's so fucking awesome. <laughs> it's it's amazingly campy. It it tries so hard to be s- kind of serious, and just it is hilarious. The 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 you know that scene in the throne room when he uses the ring on Dale. And, you know, like seduces her with the whatever the hell's in that ring. And then she steps back and she says, what happened to me? And Flash goes, I don't know, but it was pretty sensational. I mean, (laughs) it is full of lines like that. And it is so brilliantly bad. I remember reading something about the movie where they're shooting it and they were shooting it as a serious movie. And they're on the set. And the crew is laughing, and nobody can understand why the crew was yeah. laughing. And they're like, it, "It's camp. It's not a serious film." And and the fact that they have, you know, J- uh, uh, what's his name, Jones? What's his name? First name? Sam the J. Guy Jones. Playing Sam, Sam J. J. Jones yeah. and uh, Mel- Melody Anderson, and uh, who are lovely people, I'm sure, but terrible actors. Um, but then they also have serious, you know, Max von Sydow and Topol. And, uh, Arnella Muti and, uh, what's his name? The old James Bond guy. Um, Timothy Dalton? Timothy Dalton. Uh, oh, and, and, uh, what, uh, God, I'm so terrible. Brian guys. Blessed? Bl- Brian Blessed. These are all great actors. And they're in this movie saying ridiculous lines, completely committed to it. Blind on a rocket cycle? cycle. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing. I can quote movie, lines from this movie like you wouldn't believe. Oh, it's the best. Well, let me go, just Flash, say, go. Well, what I read, Andrea, was that apparently this was a collaboration between like an American production company and an Italian production company. Right. And the Italians all thought they were making a dark, serious movie and the Americans all thought they were making a campy movie. And Maybe so that's like, the thing I read. Yeah. yeah. There's like this weird, yeah, like conflict, you know, and some yeah. parts of it are super dark and then most of it's super campy. Um, but um, so then, Matt, uh, tell us about your your love for Flash Gordon. I I've loved this movie my whole life. I remember seeing it in the theater and I very explicitly remember the point when uh um when uh Timothy Dalton, Prince Baron and and Flash Gordon are fighting and then um the uh uh Brian Blessed Prince Voltan like uses his remote control and almost <laughs> kills him and then and then you know, t- uh, Prince Byron goes bastard, and my sisters both gasped. <gasps> and then, like at the time, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know what that word meant. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I, 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 I have, I remember that to this day. Um, 
I, I've seen this movie so many times. I had the um, the soundtrack on, on audio cassette. Oh, yeah. And I would listen to it over and over and over again. And it had all the quotes from the movie on it as well. So I could recite the quotes, uh, you know, from the film. And, and, and I, to this day, I'm like in the middle of the street and I start quoting this movie. Yeah. Flying, <laughs> yep. flying in a rocket cycle. I'll send you a homing beam. Um, <laughs> Flash, I love you. But yeah. we only have 14 hours left to save the to earth. Save the earth. <laughs> like this, I'm bored. I mean, just the whole thing. Um, but, you know, there there is such really high production values in this like the sets oh, yeah. the costumes oh yeah um just the special effects just the 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 way they envision uh ming's universe yeah. where they they fly through the imperial vortex which is it's basically just like you know colored uh clouds in in water and oil like you've seen a thousand times but the way they do it is so creative and all these little floating half moons that look like split open geodes um it was just so like visually weird and interesting as a kid that i just was like enraptured by it constantly and then you top this all off with a soundtrack from Queen. I mean, you can't oh, yeah. like that last thirty minutes of the movie. You know, I just I rewatched it again, and that last yep. thirty minutes, I, I'm on the edge of my seat, like I'm twelve years old. Like, oh, I'm like, go, Flash, go. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I I've seen it so many times, and it's just there's something about the energy of that that yes. scene where the, where the Hawkmen are fighting, and then you you have that like uh, electronic music, like, um, yep. Second wave, dive, and, <laughs> dive, and they're all dive. going in, and then it's just this battle scene, and it's 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 just a super fun movie. There's so many ridiculously campy lines, yeah, um, yeah, like Topol as as Zarkov, who who I, I I when I rewatched it this last time, I was like, you know, he's kind of the real hero in this, not Flash, because he's crazy yeah. and he kidnaps them. Yeah. But he's also like, he saves Earth. I mean, he's, he was basically going to go on his own. He's like, I'm going to go save Earth. And yeah. they obviously needed the, the strapping, you know, young football player to do it. But it was, it was just, um, it's just such a fun movie. And, and yep. I think it's, it's a fun movie. It's extremely well edited compared to some of the other movies we, yeah. we <laughs> um, the pacing is good. The music is good. I, obviously, the acting is not great, but it, that's made up for with with just the, the ridiculously campy lines. I, I don't know. I just it's fun. Uh, that's how that's all I will say about it. Yep. And and I agree. I didn't mention the Queen soundtrack, which is um, one of the best soundtracks out there. And at that battle scene at the end, when that when the guitar kicks in, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god, it's amazing. When he's flying towards the palace, yep. Yep. and then uh, I forget that woman's name, and she's like, "Do not be alarmed. We are you know, firing <laughs> the city's weapons." And then he's flying right. in, and you're like, "Oh my god!" My god. <laughs> Queen is playing in the background. It's meh, so meh. good. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Well, yeah, yeah. So let me pick up on the the bright colors because I think that's really striking, especially given current trends in a lot of, in science fiction movies and superhero movies that that tend to be super dark. Um, yeah. you know, like the, the colors are just so vibrant. And then the, the queen soundtrack, uh, particularly in the intro sequence. I mean, this has one of the coolest intro sequences I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The intro. I, I, cause that, that was great too. And you see that a lot now in the Marvel movies and the DC yes. movies where they do the, you know, they, they show you like they flip through the comics, the original comics. Yes. Yes. But, with, but this with queen playing, it was like, I'm already psyched and the movie haven't, hasn't even started yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it also cut that the primary, bright primary colors of the Mar- Marvel movies are exactly mirror this, you know, color scheme for this yeah. movie. 
you know. I like that he already had his logo before he goes off to see <laughs> yeah, the universe. I know. <laughs> He's, He's like, wearing his own shirt. <laughs> well, like the the yeah. the cover of the magazine that the two pilots, the airline pilots. Yes. It's it has the Flash Gordon logo. I'm like, oh, he's so he's such a good quarterback that they get they like, let's give him a logo. <laughs> <laughs> and and they also put the his name, the logo, on his coffin when they kill him. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Executed by Ming the Merc- Merciless. <laughs> Flash Gordon. So funny. <laughs> See Tom, do you have any other uh, anything else you want to say about Flash Gordon? Well I yeah, I, I didn't I guess I missed out on a whole important part of my childhood that you guys was very rich for, for both of you, Andrea and Matt, but I I didn't, I never really watched it. It was one of those movies that my 15 years older brother, you know, I was was watching it one Sunday afternoon with commercials interposed and everything. And my brother came and was like, Oh yeah, you got to watch this. This It's a great movie. And I, I didn't see it in the theater. And I think I didn't watch, I think I watched like parts of it and kept flipping back and forth between that and like a nature show or something. And never watched the whole thing, and then and then had to pay nine ninety nine to watch it now, and was irritated. But I thought it was really good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I didn't think it was a really good movie, but I was I was thinking like, wow, this came out right around the same time as Star Wars, and like Dave, you were making the point that like everything had to be Star Wars right around then, and I and all I kept thinking was this movie's not good. It's not like a really good movie, but just what they were going for, they were like. They were complete. It was like they completely. They didn't even see Star Wars. They were like, "Heck with Star Wars. We're not going to make Star Wars. We've got these like really crazy costumes. Like it looks like they the the costume designers were like brilliant, and they made all these like amazing costumes, and they had all this just really beautiful sets, like backgrounds, and things didn't look realistic, but they didn't care. They just like had this awesome vision for what they wanted to do, and they they didn't care when things went wrong. They just kept like going for what they wanted and it's totally original and totally different than anything else that came out at that time so i had to be like i had to as i was watching it now i was like well you have to admire they they were not trying to ape star wars at all they were doing something oh yeah totally different and and a lot of fun there was a lot of fun stuff in it even though I, I don't think I'd go back and watch it again. Like you, unlike you, Matt, I didn't have like a, you know, I'm not sitting there the whole time like, oh, this is so awesome. I got to watch this again. Water is leaking from my eyes. Right. Water <laughs> is leaking from her eyes. They're called tears. Well, well, their weakness. Let me say something I, I turned, I turned up in my research. So in, in part of why is Sam, J, uh, Sam J. Jones so bad in this movie. So apparently he had done almost no acting before and the producer saw him on the dating game. And was like, oh, he would be, you know, he looks like Flash Gordon if he just dyes his hair blonde, because his hair obviously is not actually blonde. Um, but then they had, there was a lot of, this is just a, what I heard on a YouTube video, so I haven't double checked this or anything. But but what they said is that there was a lot of friction on the set between Sam Jones and Dino De Laurentiis that actually ended up with Dino De Laurentiis punching Sam Jones and sending <laughs> sending him to the hospital. Wow. Which, uh, and then subsequently Sam J. Jones just went AWOL and he just left and flew home, you know, before they had finished the movie. And so they, he wasn't around to do like ADR to, to do pickup lines. So they ended up just bringing in a completely different actor to overdub all of his lines throughout the entire movie. So that's, if his lines, yeah, look like they're like, what? Yeah. So that's not him speaking at all. Yeah. It's not his, his voice doesn't appear in this movie. Oh my God. Wow. That's so surreal. Yeah. Wow. I never knew that. That's bizarre. That's why you listen to podcasts like this, Andrea. And it's true. So I can repeat stuff I read on YouTube or heard on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, Um, I do. Go ahead, go ahead. No, but you don't. I mean, you must have picked up that there's something like weirdly like dubbed seeming about his 
performance, it, right? I mean, it doesn't to God, seem... no. I don't Not think I ever noticed that. I, I noticed something was weird, but I just figured it was something that happened in the 70s. Like, things they, they just, like, redid, redubbed lines, and it didn't they quite did, match. Actually, or they did, actually, quite had a like bit. A, yeah, yeah. So, I, no, I didn't really notice, but now that you say it, it makes total sense. Uh, God, now I want to hear his original yeah. voice saying those lines and see how different they are from what yeah. I... He, do, he does he does appear in, um, what's the movie, Ted, the bear, the living bear? Yeah, Ted's Ted. Movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like, uh, I don't know how many decades later. Yeah, no, that right? was the, People's voice yeah. changes and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's like if you, watch, if you watch the original Mad Max movie, not Thunderdome, but the very first one, um, Mel Gibson had such a strong Australian accent that they were yep. like, the heck with this. Let's just redub his, redub his lines with somebody yeah. else. And so it's not his voice and it's nobody else in the movie's voice either. But if you go back and watch the original, it's like, it's bizarre how different it sounds. Yeah. They did that in that Tarzan movie from the seventies, Andy or eighties, Andy McDowell played oh, right, Jane right. and her voice, they hated her voice. So they dubbed her over with Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yep. so I, I haven't seen Ted, but so, yeah, he makes a cameo. Like, yes, as... he does, because they're obsessed with the movie. The, yeah, the characters oh, really? in Ted are obsessed with yep. Flash Gordon. Huh. Yeah. And then yeah. he just shows up, like, at a party or something? Or... Yep, he shows yeah. up at a party, yeah. Huh. Um, so I just want to make one note. Um, I talked about Albert Broccoli before. What I I had been confusing him with Dino De Laurentiis, who was the producer of this movie, oh, who yeah. did the Dune from the 80s. Which mm-hmm. was right. incredibly terrible in a wonderful way. Yeah. Um, but the writer of the movie is Lorenzo Semple Jr., who is an amazing writer. He wrote Three Days of the Condor. He wrote, um, uh, some James Bond movies. Um, I think he wrote the original Batman series. He wrote the, the pilot for it. So it's so funny that I get all these, like, th- this amazing writer and he writes this incredibly campy movie that with these lines that are, uh, amazingly campy, and yet he's you know he wrote three days of the condo for God's sakes. <laughs> but it, but um, it, it, yeah, it's extremely campy. But having watched all these you know movies together, I you I realized like how well plotted it is. Even though oh it's yes, campy. like the pacing of this film was really yep. well done. Com- I mean, compared to the others, at least. Yeah, no, it's very it's very good. It knows how it, it's a great structure. Absolutely. Um, Honest to God, one of my favorite movies. I gotta say, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's um you know faithful to the com. I think that's what he was trying to do is make it faithful to the pulp comics. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um. All right, cool. Let's let's move on to Zardoz. Um. <laughs> so yeah, my mainly I wanted to watch this because uh the floating head appears in Rick and Morty, and I was like. Really? You know, I, I, yeah, I, I just heard that that you know that, that was a Zardoz reference. I was like, all right, I, I'm kind of curious to watch this movie, and then a bunch of people recommended it as a uh, you know awesomely bad. Um, it you know, it was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. Well, so let me tell you the the so the backstory is that the writer director John Borman he had made Deliverance, which had done really really well, and so he was a hot commodity in Hollywood, and so he wanted to make this movie, but he knew that the studios wouldn't green light it basically if uh, they knew what it was and so he said like you, you he, he gave them only i think it was fox he gave them only an hour yeah. to read the script yeah. and they had to you know say yes or no just right then without you know the the executive wasn't allowed to call anybody i think and 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 yep. ask permission and stuff and so yeah so he basically the executive read the script and had no idea what it was about but didn't want to lose john borman so basically signed off on it um and the the story 
Let's see. So uh, it's in the the story <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> uh, it, it's in the future, and pretty much ev- again, pretty much everyone has died. You know, all of humanity pretty much has died, and the um, uh, most of the Earth is sort of a wasteland where these um, execution or what are they called? Exterminators ride around on yeah. horses, gunning down you know anyone they can to keep the population under control. And there's this giant floating head of, of that they worship as a god that sort of appears periodically and gushes out firearms uh, to help them with their their slaughter. Um, and so one of these exterminators is this is Sean Connery Zed, and somehow he uh, sort of stows away on the the flying head. And makes it into the vortex, which is this sort of sterile utopian society ruled by these immortals who have kind of telepathic crystals in their foreheads. And they, um, you know, you know, are, are sort of have masterminded everything to keep the rest of the population under control. But they're super miserable because their lives are, are meaningless. Um, so, um, so, Tom, what was your what were your initial impressions of Zardoz? When I, when I first saw it, this was another one of those where my much older brother was like, "Oh, you got to watch this movie," and uh, he's like, "Oh, it's it's really it's an epic like classic science fiction movie." And I was like, "Really? How did I miss it?" And then uh, and then I watched it again as a I don't know as a preteen or a t- probably a teen on TV and was thoroughly mystified by it. But watching it disturbed me back then, but watching it again now it disturbed me again forty years <laughs> later. So. You know, I was also struck by the fact that when I was younger, like you know, here I am sitting here now watching this thing on on my phone, and the and the, one of the first lines in the movie is "the gun is good, the <laughs> penis is evil," <laughs> and and I was like, okay, so so far everything's not really science fiction yet. Everything's everything makes sense, but uh, but what struck me is they edited out the penis is evil line on TV in the seventies, but not the gun is good. So that was kind of an interesting, I don't know, to me an interesting thing. I think this actually could have been a good movie. Like my overall impression of it right now is it could have been a good movie if they hadn't, uh, it just kind of went too far. Like it had a lot of good concepts and a lot of good things about it, but they just kind of went way too nutty and wacky on a lot of stuff. Yes. So, so Andrew, what do you think? Oh my God, it was so terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My first comment that I wrote down was, Good God. And yeah. the last comment I wrote was, what the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, well, do, uh, do you agree with Tom? Because uh, I, I agree that the premise is kind of interesting. I mean, I think it's over familiar. I mean, apparently it was based on an Aldous Huxley book or story yes. that I haven't read called After Many a Summer. Um, yeah. It, apparently I read that he was trying to – he wanted to make Lord of the Rings – and he couldn't the, – the studio didn't want to make it because it was too expensive. So he's like, I want to make something else. So he made this. Um, and so he's heavily influenced by Tolkien, by T.S. Eliot, and by Wizard of Oz, which shows up. Right. Um, yeah. All show up in the, in the, in the movie. Um, I, I couldn't get over the red diaper and the boots <laughs> and the band. Uh, it was just like, what is going on? Why didn't Sean Connery agree to do this? Like, I genuinely don't understand. Well, uh, so that's a funny – well, is, yeah, someone, go ahead. is someone else going to say? Well, I was just going to say uh, I read an article about this uh, that Sean Connery – you know, he was in all the Bond movies and he was yeah. awesome as Bond, right? Before Bond, he was he was basically uh, – he was a model 
And then Broccoli discovered him and was like, you know, you could be a really good actor. You've got it. You know, this, this like mythic thing that some just super charismatic men have. And he's like, I can, I can teach you the rest. So then he was Bond for, for decades. And then he got done with Bond and he was like, well, what am I going to do now? And he couldn't get a part to save his life. And then he, he took this part because I, I guess it was originally going to be Burt Reynolds, which would have made yes. a little bit more sense. Like he <laughs> had the kind of, you know, he, I could picture him a little bit more as Zardoz than Sean Connery. But, um, but then Connery took the part because he was starved for work. And uh, I, th- I don't even think he made very much money. I think he, there was some story in the article about how he, um, he offered to, like, they were going to have a chauffeur, but he was like, no, 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 never mind the chauffeur, I'll drive myself around so you can pay me a little bit more money. Yeah, he was living at John Borman's house. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, so that's why he's in it. Um, about halfway through the movie, I, I, it, it struck me that it looked a lot like, it reminded me a lot of Excalibur, and then I realized it's a John Borman film, too. Like, it's ah, this, it's uh, very yeah. similar it in that. It did feel familiar. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And... You know, I read, I did read a lot about it. Um, it's, you know, he attended his social commentary, but it was so pompous that, and I just didn't care what they're, like, I didn't know what the, they were commenting on or what the comment is. I finally figured it out at the end, like, you know, uh, technology is bad, go back to nature kind of bullshit. But it was like, I, by the time I got there and that, the ending of them just sitting there and aging, I just like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> So yeah. bad. I think, no, it was a little, I think it was a little deeper than go back to nature. I think it was more like it, it was kind of a relevant social commentary today. It was kind of like haves and have nots, people who um, you know, yeah. usurp all the resources for themselves versus not caring about that the fact that everybody else is starving to death and being murdered wholesale. Yeah. I thought it was more that kind of social I thought that was social commentary was actually pretty biting. I thought that held up even today. But it 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 was so pompous and so overdone. I just didn't care. Let's get Matt back in here. Matt, what did you think? Well, I think there was a <laughs> there there may have been a movie there. If you if you cut out maybe forty minutes of of them just moaning, yeah. There, there, yeah. I mean, there was some. There was a like you know there were little pieces of of an interesting story there. I thought you know like they they put like the crystals in their brains so they could psychically communicate. And then there was this city where like you said the haves ha- you know lived and the have-nots were in this wild lands outside. And this idea that they created this false god for them to worship outside as a way to control them. I thought there was like really interesting ideas. And then even just like the whole little. Um, computer crystal ring thing i thought that like there was a lot of little cool stuff yeah buried in here but um yeah i i have a feeling that when the writer uh sat down he basically like i'm gonna do a heroic amount of acid i'm just gonna rip <laughs> my balls off and then whatever comes uh like i'm just gonna i'm gonna yeah let's do that let's let's have this so let's just have you know sean connery in a room and let's like have have the you know the two women going through his memories on a big screen and let's just have like weird naked bodies on the walls <laughs> And let's not explain that at all. Like maybe it was sort of like that's where they were cloning people. Well, no, they were trying. Maybe- they were trying to. That was that wasn't clear. They were. Tra- <laughs> I guess nothing that wasn't was clear? clear. No, it but was not clear. They were, they were trying to. They, they couldn't get sexually aroused because they were immortal and in in the process right. The whole of world had immortal. ED. The yeah, world ex- had ED. Exactly. Right. So they wanted to see like, well, can we can we turn them on? So they put pictures of, oh, of naked naked oiled up women on the screen. 
No, no, no. I'm not talking about the part where he's standing there and then he can't get aroused by that. And then he gets aroused by by Consuela. I'm not talking about that. That was like, that was, that was also pretty weird. And they're all just sitting there watching him. Yeah. They're like, okay, are you going to get aroused or what? (laughs) And that that blonde, curly Paul McCartney guy. Yeah, Um, right. Exactly. And then he's like smiling. He's like, no, that doesn't. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about that though. I'm talking about where they're, they're, it's earlier than that, where they're, they got him strapped down to the table. And, and he has his, like, yeah. hands behind his head. Yes. And his neck is bent back. And yeah. the, it's sort of um, a pyramidal-shaped room, I guess, or trapezoid. Oh, and, that's right. And, and there's, like, all these weird bodies on the side. And then the original Zardoz, he was killed. But they're like, oh, we're, we're rebuilding him now. And they point, and you see, like, a fetus growing. Yeah. Yeah. But there it's were, like, all these, all these naked bodies and, like, dripping water. And it was, was just there. And it wasn't explained. And I was like, no, okay. I know. There were a lot of stuff, a lot of things like that in this film. The, that were there's just a lot like, of cringy stuff. And then they, 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 the whole, they keep replaying the rape part. And I was like, yeah. oh, come oh, yeah, that on. Was, yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. And then the whole penis drawing and the, oh, God. Borman yeah, yeah, loves the, his naked boobies. There was, there was a lot of naked, you know, nudity throughout this entire movie. You know, sort of very, yeah. like, pretentious, artsy, gratuitous yes. nudity throughout exactly the movie. Exactly that. It's well, very yeah. 70s. That, that, yeah, yeah, that gr- is. You know, that artsy nudity is so 70s but andrew i don't know what you're complaining about because i know that you don't like oiled men in loincloths and and he went and he wasn't oiled they didn't oil up he wasn't oiled i think my favorite version my favorite part of this film was not the nudity it was the part where they're in in the table eating some kind of meal and and the woman i forget her name just like in the middle of the meal just stands up and goes Oh, and like sticks her arms out, and then all of a sudden they all just do do that as well, and like go into some psychic trance, and it was just like, what is happening? What movie am I in? Where am I? Well, let, let me say, wait, 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 wait. Let me say what what I thought was cool though, because there were some other ideas I thought were kind of cool that we haven't mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I thought the idea that they get punished by being aged was really cool. Yeah, that and was, so because yeah, so you have to of transmitting a negative aura. <laughs> So, so yeah, so you have this whole, it's almost like a nursing home of the people who have all, like, gotten, you know, punished so much that now yeah. they just ha- have sort of old, senile bodies. Um, and then you also have the people who are, they call them the apathetics, who they're almost... Or like the brain dead like, or something. Yeah, yeah. well, they, 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 they've just gotten so bored with everything after living for so long that they just, you know, don't respond to anything anymore. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was cool stuff in the movie. It's just that there's this, this like Matt was saying, there's like this 40-minute section you know, toward the end, which is just so long and so pretentious yeah. and so boring. It just, you know, if you just cut all that out, you would have an okay movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you would. I think my, my favorite part uh, my favorite part mm-hmm. in the movie was when he breaks through their indestructible clear plastic bag and then, oh, yeah. and then defeats them all by throwing flour on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's that's two hours of my life. I will never get that. Never getting that back. And then he's like, no. "Stay, stay in my aura." I was like, "Well, where did that come from?" They didn't <laughs> mention anything about his aura. Book. Stay in my aura. It will protect you. Well, because because they seemed like a like a seventies cult. I mean, you know, yeah, that's totally yeah. the I, vibe. I kept expecting at that dinner table scenes. I kept expecting everybody to stand up and sing "Jesus Christ Superstar" because that's what <laughs> yeah. it looked like. Yeah, and there was a lot of like really, really thinly veiled LSD references where they like have to like like touch my tongue, touch the tip of my tongue. And like, oh, <laughs> uh, and, oh, I missed that. Oops. Uh, or oh. they the like the um, what was her name? May. Where, May. Where she, yeah. May. Yeah. Where where she's like. 
Sean Connery walks into the room and she's under the sh- like a sheet. The sheet. sheet, yeah, the bed and sheet. And then she throws a sheet <laughs> over him, and then somehow they're like, I don't know, dueling in psychic space. It was yeah. just so weird. Yeah, that was bizarre. I did yes. like like you you pointed out Matt the ring with the with the cool. It had like a cool display that came out, kind of like an Iron Man thing. I was like, that's yeah. Pretty- it was like it was like Siri. Yeah, it was like a male yeah. version of Siri. Yeah. yeah, he's like he points it at the flower and he's like, "What is it?" And it's like flowers, and he's like, "For what purpose?" And it goes decorative. And I was like, oh, that, <laughs> "That is like that is it was it was bizarre and and ridiculous." But at the same time, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" In the 1970s, somebody thought of that. Like, that, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. No, I mean there were there were some inter- really like um, cool concepts in this film. It just. It was like everything the director thought of, everything the writer thought of, they threw in. They're like, let's they put yeah. that in there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I, th- I think the big takeaway here is if you're a studio executive and someone says, you've got an hour to read this screenplay, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. You say no. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, but we got to move on to Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Oh. Wait, can I ask one quick question about Zardoz really quick? Okay. So when, they're, when he stumbles upon them, and they're baking bread, and then the sort of blonde um, Paul McCartney-looking guy has a weird conversation with them in backwards language. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then that was never explained. He's like... I, and I, like, I, oh, thought, I thought there was something wrong for a minute. I'm like, did I hit a r- bad... Well, what was that, though? Was uh, that... And it, was that Nothing. I don't, was there's that no ever, explanation. Was, okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, just, I, think I, I think I assumed I was having a stroke at that moment. <laughs> okay. All right. All I think right. I wished I was having a stroke at that point. <laughs> All right, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Um, so let's see. This this is kind of hard to summarize, but but so Buckaroo yeah. Banzai <laughs> is a neurosurgeon rock star. <laughs> uh, he's good at I forget. He's good at a lot of different things, and he has this whole like gang that hangs out with him. Who's they're all in his bands, but they're also sort of like soldiers of fortune, um, and. Uh, uh, in the, the 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 story, sort of, oh, and he he he's sort of uh, he's oh he's he's a scientist, and one of his scientist friends is doing experiments in, you know, uh, traveling through solid matter by moving into extra higher dimensional space. And so at the beginning, Buckaroo Banzai drives a car through a mountain um, by passing through the eighth dimension, and it turns out that there are these imprisoned evil aliens in the eighth dimension, and um, you know, they they've kind of some of them have gotten kind of gotten loose back. Uh, that was the the Orson Welles whatever year that was the the War of the Worlds radio play yeah and yeah. and so the ones that that got out around that time are trying to free the rest of their uh you know compatriots and then there are these sort of quote unquote good aliens who are going to destroy Earth if Buckaroo Banzai can't stop them from from freeing the the other evil ones um I think that's pretty much what happens yeah. in this movie yeah. um so um uh, so Matt. What do you think of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension? So I have friends who love this movie and I want, I wanted so badly to love this movie, but like as a kid, I never did. And now I, I just like there, it, the, just the setup you said, like this guy is a rock star and he's also, you know, like this amazing, amazingly talented scientist. And he's also, you know, a, a kind of stunt pilot too. I mean, he basically does everything. Uh, there, there are all these little jokes within this film that are just like, are they in the eighth dimension? No, I think they're over New Jersey or something. Like, there are so many like great jokes, but 
for some reason, and I think it has a lot to do with just the pacing and the editing. I just, I, I don't like this film. I, and I, I know that's like going to upset people who love it, but it, you know, it, it, it could have been like brilliantly funny, but it's, it's just the jokes fell flat for me. I think it was a lot of it was timing. A lot of times I actually felt like the, you know, might have been the copy I had, but the audio levels were a little low and I couldn't quite catch what people were saying. Um, and I never really felt, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's played for camp. I think we should say that, but I never really felt like any tension in it. And I never really warmed up to Buckaroo Banzai as like an interesting character. I, I, for me, the, the best part of this film is the ending. If you watch the credits and they're the all like dancing amazing. in, in the, yeah. um, Whatever yeah. you call that, the uh, the it's canal, the L.A. River, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, like and that video. that's like, oh, that's great, okay, and and like I said, there are little parts here, like like Jeff Goldblum, like any 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 scene <laughs> any he's movie. in, I love him, yeah, um, yeah, and but I don't know, I mean, you know, maybe you guys can sway me, I don't think so. No, well, no, I, I'll say I, I pretty much agree with you, Matt. I mean, I think that the the scene where he drives through the mountain at the beginning is awesome, and I think the yeah. credits are so incredibly awesome that it makes you like feel like you just watched the best movie ever. But I, I agree with you, like, the, the, it's really like the pacing you mentioned. It's really like disjointed and doesn't, you know, the scenes don't flow and and stuff. And yeah, and so uh, yeah, I would. I would definitely recommend watching the first scene in the credits and the rest of it. I don't, you know, I'm not crazy about either. And you know, some, yeah. I like sometimes if you watch a movie that's a couple decades old, you know, you're like, okay, the pacing's a little bit slower. You know, I get it. This is, you know, we're used to faster paced films, but having watched all these other movies consecutively, you could say, no, you know, it's, it's not well, it's not a well paced film. I guess I will say, I actually really like Buck Rubanzai and the idea that he's like the best neurosurgeon and rock star and all this stuff. And, you know, well, he has his own comic book yeah. about him and all the, like, I would totally watch a Buck Rubanzai movie, but the, the Lectroid, like, you know, plot in this one doesn't particularly speak to me or anything. Um, but so how about, um, Andrea, what do you think? Actually ask Tom first. I want to hear what he has to say. All right, Tom, what do you think? Uh, I'm not going to try to sway you, Matt. I didn't, I, I really wanted to like, even back then, I think I watched it on TV when I was like 16 or 17 and I really wanted to like it because I was like, oh, like you said, it's like a neurosurgeon and he's a rock star and he's got a, he's going to go through a different dimension. And it really was everything I was interested in back then. And it was, um, you know, it, it was like, oh, it's, it's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sort of brought into a movie. I'm going to love this. And then I sat and try, I think I rented it actually. And I think I tried to watch it and I think I got like halfway through it and didn't finish it. And then I watched the whole thing this time. And I liked it a little bit more as an adult, but I still was like, I don't get it. There's so many things in there that I should love, and I just don't. And I think maybe you're right, Matt, that it's like the pacing, and it's maybe the acting. I feel like maybe Peter Willer was miscast. I'm not sure he would. He was the best Buckaroo Banzai that they could have had. Um, Jeff Goldblum was awesome. I think maybe he would have made a better Buckaroo Banzai. Um, John Lithgow was I like John Lithgow in this movie actually a lot, and... I I love Christopher Lloyd and everything he's in, but I think the the mask they put over him kind of hamstrung him quite a bit. Um, but even so, there's still there's a lot of quotes from this movie that my friends growing up repeated over and over again. Like I remember, I distinctly remember my brother saying over and over again, "Hey, no matter where you go, there you are, there yeah. you are." 
He used to say that, and I even forgot where that came from because he said it so many times over the years. And when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. Oh, cool. Um, but, but yeah, it should have been better. It has so many brilliant ideas, so many cool, fun things. And one, one, one more thing about it, just while I'm kind of rolling along here. Dude, how, how the heck did they get, it's like the Back to the Future car, right? Like what, how did that get from there into Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future? It's the same, it's basically the same car and it even has a flux capacitor in it. <laughs> yeah, noted? yeah. Yeah. That's an overthruster. Well, but it's, it's, it, it has the, cha- the triangular yes, kind of shape. Yes, I thought this was a truck, though. It had like a truck. It was thing. a truck. It was like. But yeah, it had the it, it had the big vents with the cooling fins on the back and yep. the sloped front. It, it looked like that so was very eighties aesthetic, though. Like I yeah. think a lot of. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I, watching it now, I was like, it looked. It, apart from the fact that it was a truck, but it looked the shape of it, the profile of it looked just like the Back to the Future car, and then the flux capacitor killed it for me. I was like. They even have the flux capacitor. Like, did what Robert... year? This was eighty four. What year is this Back was to the Future? Eighty five. This was first. Yeah. This was oh, this first, was... and so I'm like, did they have some kind of agreement? Did Robert Zemeckis like call whoever made this movie and say like, hey, I I hate your movie, but I love that thing, the car, the shape of the car, and the little flux capacitor, the little like Y shape. You're thing right. It does. Thing. It does kind of um, mirror the way the, uh, you know, in in Back to the Future, the way the car sort of disappears. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I don't know if you if you know this story, but it was originally supposed to be a refrigerator that he that Marty McFly travels through time in, and then they were afraid right. that kids would like go, go into refrigerators and die, <laughs> and so they had right. to change it to a car. So maybe they're just like at that point they're like, "Fuck it, let's just take the Bakura Banzai car." Like I don't, I'm sick of writing <laughs> yeah. this thing. <laughs> uh, but so, so Andrea, you want to give us your long-awaited verdict here? Yes, uh, you're all wrong. It is the, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I <laughs> legit adore this movie. I just watched it again this morning. Still die laughing. And there's, I think you, you can't come at this movie as a science fiction movie, really. It's a comedy. It's a straight up comedy with some really great lines. It's, it, it, it's there to make you laugh. And, you know, the I I don't understand the not liking the the pacing. I I think it moves along at a clip. It's ridiculous. The characters are ridiculous and absurd, and it works for me. I mean, there's so many great like ridiculous things. Like there's one point where Penny's you know been kidnapped to the um, and she's dying, and they put her on the phone, and she's like, "Don't worry about me. I'm not worth it." You know, and he goes, "Penny, Penny." Get off the phone, honey. And it's so absurd. <laughs> I, I, guess the, what? I guess the thing I'm, is, Andrea, it's like, yeah. you know, it's it's funny, but is it dramatic or tense or emotionally affecting ever? I mean, I, I you know, but like, it, I, like it's not it's supposed to be funny. Like, it's supposed to be absurd. And it, it achieves that end. Like, the characters are so ridiculous. And they have such crazy names, like Perfect Tommy and yeah. and Reno, and and it's just like, what is going on? But you don't care, like I don't care, because you know what the black electroids are all uh, Rastas. Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. what? Um, uh, you know, the, and the the president is in traction for the whole thing. Why? Yeah, that's not explained. <laughs> There's no explained explanation right. for that. Well, and then the general who says, you know, when they're about to get blown up, they think they're going to get blown up, and he goes, "I want to tell you." I am barely holding my fudge right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? It's no, there were a lot of really f- hilarious lines. When when Banzai holds his hand out to the, the Japanese scientist, he's like, what is this? He's like, that's your hand, buckaroo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's well, so good. Well, so, so, so apparently the guy who wrote this, wait, I think I wrote it down, Earl Mac Roush, 
Apparently, he you know he really struggled and, and wrote something like seventeen oh, completely different versions of the screenplay. And so then when they went to make it, they had this three hundred page book of oh. all the different screenplays. And so they took ideas, you know. So there was sure. this whole like mythology, this huge, huge by that point mythology behind it. And then they didn't explain any of it. I don't know whether that was intentional or just you know incompetence. But I mean, you know. Like it, it, that's a, a very distinctive feature of the movie is, is how much mythology there is that isn't explained or set up. Um, one of the reviews, this is Dave Kerr in the Chicago Reader wrote, um, the film gives you the mildly annoying sensation of being left out of a not very good private joke. Uh, and I mean, I think that that's, th- th- there's something to that. I mean, uh, you know, some people like, like this reminds me a lot in terms of tone of stuff like uh, Repo Man or John Dies at the End, these sort of overtly weird movies. Um, and, I, you know, personally, I I like a little bit more sort of conventional dramatic story, you know, climax and, you know, emotions and stuff like that. But I, I guess it just depends on how much. You know how much yeah. you're charmed by just the weirdness. Uh, I see that is sake. exactly what's charming to me about it is the weirdness and the fact that they don't explain everything. And I think that's a hallmark of not just good science fiction, but a lot of good. Like you don't need the explanation; you just accept it, or I accept it without question because it's just funny. Like, well, I'll I'll give you this. I'll give you this. If if I were to just sit down and watch any five minutes of this film, I'd be like, "That's funny. That's hilarious." But when you pile them up at one after another, I started to like get bored, I guess. Wow. Cause I, yeah, I, I mean, that's just me though. I know, like, like I said, I have friends who love this film. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, and I think the, it's hard for me when I hate a movie, I can tell you, I can go on for hours about what I think is wrong with it. When I love a movie, it's hard to say why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't talk about the structure because I'm so pulled in by the film that I'm not looking at that. I'm laughing out loud at the jokes, at the absurdity of it. Um, it's just a fun movie. Uh, and I guess if you don't, I, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound bad. I don't mean it to be though. Like if you don't get it, then you don't get it. And I'm not saying it that is like, you don't no, know. I know that's you know what, you know what I'm I, I saying. Don't it's, like get Robert, it, yeah. it's like Robert McKee said, you're either on board or you're not. And if you're, yes. if you're not on board, then you notice all the flaws. And if you're on board, yes. it doesn't matter what they do wrong. You don't care about all that stuff. Cause you're I on don't board. care. Yeah. Because like, I mean, look at all the stuff that, that, uh, uh, Flash Gordon does wrong. I mean, there's so much wrong about that movie, but it's so entertaining to me. This is as entertaining as Flash Gordon because this is my my triumvirate my of favorite science fiction movies or fantasy slash science fiction movies from the eighties is Flash Gordon, Buckaroo Banzai, and um, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. Three movies that I absolutely adore. Well, I love um, Big Trouble in Little China. I love yeah. two of those. I love three, that so. movie. I could yeah, watch that movie over and over all again. over and over again. Yeah. See, Big Trouble in Little China is also played. For ca- played oh, camp with camp, but it also has a really really fun plot arc. Whereas yeah. and and to me the, yeah, it, it, it that does. holds together much much better than than yeah. Bonsai. Yeah, we're gonna have to disagree. Agree oh, to no. disagree that on this. There's fighting words. That they are fighting words. <laughs> but let me just. I just think it's funny because you know I watched this as a kid. And then fast forward 10 or 15 years, whatever, and my memory of it is that it's about a guy who travels into the future 
into like a post-apocalyptic wasteland and there are mutants in the future with bug eyes and they they come back in time and because he's been to the future he's the only one who can see them for what they really are and i was like i think that's an awesome story and then <laughs> i went back and watched this i'm like wow that's not what this is about at all but like just oh, to no. give you an idea of like how confused i was as a kid by what was going on in this movie like that was what what i came out of it uh you know thinking or how i remembered it anyway all right I'm I'm not here to to convert you guys. I'm just uh I'm telling it like it is. I'm I'm speaking my truth. Well, no, but there's there are a lot of people who as Matt was saying absolutely adore this movie. I mean, yeah. Kevin Smith is a huge huge yeah. like he says he became a filmmaker. He was inspired by this movie to become a filmmaker. He was actually trying to reboot it uh in 2016. It was I think there was it was going to be an Amazon series, there... but then there was a lawsuit. You know, they couldn't agree on who uh, owns the rights to what. I would, I, I would watch that if someone w- were to redo uh, a series or a movie. I would, I would watch it. I think there's enough there that I would give it a second chance. Hmm. <laughs> not, not you, not you, Thomas. I mean, if, if I mean, if Kevin Smith made it, I would watch it. Yeah, See, I'm exactly. not a big Kev- Kevin Smith oh. fan, so but okay. I mean, I would still watch it. But the the humor for me and the, the amazingly hilarious jokes uh, to me, like there's you know there's so many great lines in this, just throwaway jokes that are just like laugh out loud funny. You know, at the end where where um, uh, John Lithgow goes. Where are we going? And they all say, Planet 10, when are we going? Real soon. Real soon, yeah. That was the, yeah, there was a lot of fun stuff in it, for sure. <laughs> or they're walking past, John Lithgow and, and the other guy, I forget his name, are walking through, like, whatever. And then yeah. you see, like, a, a watermelon. He's like, what's that for? He's like, don't ask. And then they just keep going. Like, We're not going to explain it. It's just like a watermelon in the machine. <laughs> so funny. I'll, let me also. This is something I, that turned up in my research. That's kind of interesting. So just like you know, Buck Rogers and um, Flash Gordon go back to the pulps. Um, at least one person I, I saw thought that this character was pretty clearly inspired by Doc Savage, who I'm not. I don't know too much about, but is apparently also a sort of polymath inventor, hero, adventurer kind of character. And he he has a um, a group of followers called the Fabulous Five. And apparently the Buckrubanzai's Hong Kong Cavaliers, each one yes. of them mm-hmm. kind of bears yeah. some, you know, striking resemblance to one of Doc Savage's Fabulous Five. Interesting. I've never heard – I don't think I've ever heard of Doc Savage. It's a – yeah, I think it's sort of a 1930s, you know, pop uh. magazine kind of character. Okay, so I just found uh, – I just found that the producer – one of the producers of Back to the Future was Neil Canton, who was also a producer of Buckrubanzai. Uh. And he, he borrowed several things from Buckaroo Banzai to put them into Back to the Future, including yeah. 88 miles per hour, 88 is a common team Banzai icon, apparently, and it's on the car's license plate. It was HB88. Um, and then, uh, the flux capacitor was in there and triangular design of the flux capacitor. Doc, yeah. Doc calling Marty Future Boy and the same actor, Christopher Lloyd, calling, uh, Calling Buckaroo Banzai Monkey Boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, same producer is why the flux capacitors. Uh, there in you go. Both what was the name of Buckaroo Banzai? Like he had all these, I guess they were a fan club, but they were also like Boy Scouts. The, oh, the yeah. blue shirts, blue jackets. Yeah, yeah, they were like Trekkies. They were kind of like Trekkies. It was kind of yeah. like a Galaxy Quest, how he like. No, but it, it sounded like the Baker Street Irregulars. It was some, it was like the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something like that. <laughs> The Blue Jackets. The Buckaroo Bonsai Blue Jackets. Yeah. 
Something like that, yeah. I thought they were called irreg- something irregulars or something like that. Blue jacket irregulars? I know it's blue jacket something. Yeah. Huh. Um, I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me also just note, I mean, yeah, like, like people who are big fans of this really feel like this movie was like 10 or 20 years ahead of its time. And yeah. I mean, it, it did really poorly um, in the theater, but which is strange to me because I feel like everyone that I know saw it, has seen it. So it it really was a sort of like geek culture it's fixture classic. before you know before geek culture really became mainstreamed. Yeah. Oh, all right. Sorry, you guys didn't like it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of not liking things, uh, let's move on to Ice Pirates. Which uh, I'll say this uh, was one of my this was legit one of my favorite movies growing up. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this movie so much. So the, the premise is that, um, it's, it's in the future and all of the water planets have been destroyed. And so water has become an incredibly scarce commodity that's now more valuable than gold. And there's this evil order of Templars that control, mostly control the remaining water supply. And then there are pirates who, you know, and they, they transport the water as giant blocks of ice. And so then there are ice pirates who swoop in and steal the water from them. And yeah, as a kid, I just thought it was so cool that uh, this this idea that that water could be the most valuable commodity, you know, it's kind of like a cool science fiction idea to me. Um, there's a lot more I could say about this movie, but uh, I know Tom was so <laughs> not uh, uh, impressed not by this movie that he didn't even want to talk about it. So uh, oh, wow! So let's start off with Tom. Uh, I actually and make actually, you talk about it. I actually lobbied with Dave to to swap it out with a different movie because I was like, I don't see that there's anything awesomely bad about it at all. I just think it's bad, and I don't I don't have any like nostalgia for it. Even when I was a kid, and I I did go to see this one in the theater um, again because I was like, oh, Star Wars science fiction is awesome, and I went to see this one in the theater, and I I distinctly remember coming out and my. 10 year old self or however old looking at my again my same friend who's a big movie buff and saying that movie just made the future seem like a bunch of garbage (laughs) and uh and which you know looking back i'm like well um but uh but no i i I hated it then i hated it then as a little kid i couldn't get into it even as a little kid who loved buck rogers like i I watched that buck rogers tv show every week as long as it was as it was on and i talked to my friends about it every day the next day like did you see buck rogers last night and this movie just didn't grab me back then. I was like, this is just awful. The only thing I remembered about it, the only thing I remembered liking about it was that there was a space herpy in it. I was like, oh, that was, was kind of <laughs> cool. Remember the space herpy? I remember talking yeah, to my friends about yeah. that. And then, and now, like, I'm like, yeah, that's still the best thing in the movie. Like, everything else, everything else is just junk. Like, and I love, like, I love Rob, nothing against Robert Urich. I love the guy. I used to watch, there was a show he was in called Vegas that I loved when I was Oh, a yeah. Love Vegas. Driving around a big, Gran Torino or whatever it was. Doesn't he? Is that way he drives it into his apartment? I don't probably. I don't he know. drives the car into his apartment. No, that's where he parks the car in the apartment. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he would because he loves that car. It's like his yeah. significant other. <laughs> but but no. But like I loved him. But like in the movie, I was like, uh, I don't know. They, he just seems kind of like it seems like he's kind of there. Like yeah, this is fun. Let's have fun. And I'm like, okay, fine, go have fun. But I don't I don't want to watch it. Um. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really didn't get into it. Anyway, it's, it, and it's also, you know, like Buck Rogers, like incredibly not woke. 
I guess is the term. That <laughs> no, no. The kids no. these days are using. Like, like when he, particularly when he laughs about giving the woman herpes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody has them now. <laughs> Don't worry about it. He's like laughing. Like, oh, yeah, that's not. And he that's... basically just, just wants to abduct the princess because he yeah. likes her. It's like, oh, hey, here's a princess. I'll take her home with me. You know, it's pretty awful. Yeah. Like a, like a caveman dragging her away by her hair. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. But, so, uh, wait. So, so Matt, did you, how much did you like this movie? All right. Take take me take me back, you know, 30 years and and I love this movie. Like when I was a kid, um you know, I I would eat up anything science fiction, but th- there was like I did not know this was camp when I when I watched it as a kid. I was just like, "Oh, cool. So, you know, a science fiction film." Um, you know, you watch it now with with the sensibility that I have now and and that yeah, this this a lot of problems with it. Um but it still it still has parts of it that I that I found really kind of funny and amusing and ridiculous. Um, please so tell I'm me, not... please tell me you're not talking about the farting alien on the toilet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although it was kind of funny, they're like somebody take care of him. Like I like yeah. that they break they break into the spaceship, and then the room that they break into is the is the bathroom. Like, come on, that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, but you know, it, it's it's got its it's got its issues. So so it's like I didn't. Um, I definitely do not like this as much as Flash Gordon. You know, and, and I think watching it now, it's, it's okay. It's not like my go-to film if I, if I want to relax or anything. Um, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't have rewatched it if I didn't have to for this, but I remember as a kid really, really enjoying it. Okay. Um, Andrea, so, uh, overall yeah. verdict. Um, well, I watched this a lot when I was a kid and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Loved watching it. Have seen it a million times when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in, I don't know, 25 years, maybe watched it again. And boy, did I, I, I can't, I'm not going to say I like it, but it's definitely not as hilarious as I remember it. Mm. Um, I think it's probably because <laughs> things have changed. Um, you know, the abducting the princess and, um, it, it was just not as, um, it did not hold up. It did not stand the test of time for me. Um, I do want to point out, but I did a lot of research on it, um, it was co-written by one of the guys who wrote Crawl, which I find interesting. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. See that? Yeah. Um, and it also, if any, I don't know if anybody else had this impression. It reminded me a lot of Firefly, the look and the, oh, yeah. Yeah. the yeah. plot yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it was just well, not as well, funny. Well, if we're, if we're going to talk about behind the scenes stuff, yeah. So, so the backstory is kind of interesting because this was originally supposed to be a serious twenty million dollar movie yes. called The Water Planet or something, which yeah. would have been and awesome. Then, I would love to see that. Yeah, and then the studio was having financial problems, and they put a blanket policy that they would not fund any movie for more than eight million dollars. So, <laughs> you know, like more than half the budget disappeared. And so the director was like, we can't do, we can't do a serious space opera movie for $8 million. This has to be a comedy. And so he went and rewrote the script to make it into a comedy. And then also, like, there's some weird stuff about apparently, like, the producer had punched a studio head yeah. or something. And there's that also resulted in, yeah. What's yeah. <laughs> all this punching? That also yeah. resulted in money being, you know, like the budget being cut even more from what yeah. I gather. So, so yeah, I mean, like, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got it open here. It says, turns out the producer was a close friend of Paul Newman's and the studio head had said something derogatory about Paul Newman's wife. <laughs> and so the producer had punched him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, yeah. So, but so, yes. And so this movie, it's 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, I mean, you have to go into it with appropriate expectations and particularly like, like you guys were saying, like it was made in 1984 and you have to look at it through your 1984, like glasses, yeah. or you're not going to enjoy it at all. But yeah. I, th- I think it's still really funny. I mean, like the, um, oh my gosh. the part, <laughs> <laughs> come on, the, the part where they're like on the conveyor belt and the guys are like, did you get overtime this month? And the guy's like, yeah. no. And like that whole conveyor belt. And then there's the guy going to shave, the old guy's going to shave him. <laughs> he has the really shaky hands. And I don't know. I, I think oh, I yeah, that, no, was that was really, really funny. funny. All right. Well, yeah, the, I remember the, thinking that was hilarious the when conveyor, I was a kid. The conveyor, I might take back my herpes statement from earlier. The conveyor belt part might be the best part about the movie. It was like, cause it was like a, a GM production line. They just suddenly, <laughs> that just suddenly appears in this science fiction movie where they're like, killing people like reassigning people or whatever that that was kind of fun. Yeah, these yeah, union workers like ah i gotta work overtime without pay again what, what were they saying <laughs> yeah that, yeah basically yeah yeah, that. yeah 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 that that was that was good that was a little spark of brilliance um ron, ron perlman was in the movie so i was like okay yes, man, he was. there's gonna be some good but they like completely wasted him they had him say like these tiny mm-hmm. little lines and and probably they didn't yeah. know how awesome he was back then so they just like didn't let him say anything but yeah, um, there, there's there's quite a cast in this movie actually, like Angelica Houston, Ron Perlman, yeah. Bruce Valanche, John Carradine. I mean, it's pretty amazing cast. I think they got Angelica Houston because she was like a friend of the the writer or the producer or something, and it's just like asked her to be in it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was not as funny as I remembered it being. That that's Gotta where I, the humor absolutely didn't work for me. I mean, apart from the space herpy and the production line, Dave, can you give any more evidence to back up this like <laughs> really funny movie that you saw? That I didn't. Well, see? well, I, I think really funny is maybe maybe pushing it, but I I think Robert Urich is brilliant in this movie. Like every facial expression he makes just cracks me up, and he's he, you know he and his um like sidekick um Roscoe. Like, I just think they're funny together. Like, you know, they have a funny dynamic to me and just like they're just constantly in these like funny situations and and just like the way he responds to them just through. Yeah, like through his facial expressions. It just works for me. I don't know. I just I just like him a lot as a character. I can see that his facial expressions are really good. But I I mean, I would counsel anybody who wants to see that to go watch Vegas instead because it's it's actually got like good writing. And it's like I don't know that it's got good writing. I haven't seen it since I was 10, but. But but I mean I I don't know I think that would be more enjoyable and you get to see as many facial expressions from him as you want and he, and you're right he's he's got a lot of charisma yeah uh. and just like the I mean the part at the end where they go through the time warp and, they, and they're getting old you know like <laughs> second by second that was pretty that funny. was clever that was clever yeah. like have you ever seen that tell me you've ever seen that in a movie before like yeah, that's I saw it in that's Endgame. cool okay a movie that predates. Uh, ice okay. pirates. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, if I thought hard enough, I probably could. But no, that was that. You're right. That was clever. The only thing I really hated was the space herpy. I thought that was the worst part of the movie. Because, <laughs> like, what does that have to do? Like, what does it have to? It's just like they're just like, oh, alien like a, is popular. It's like a, Let's put it's that a in. joke they dropped in. It was. It, was, know, it was very eighties. Yeah, it was, it was a, miss, a missed opportunity where they could have. Revealed the space herpy after the two of them had had sex because like yeah. you didn't tell me you had space herpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that Dave, that was uh, if you if you grew up if you were a teenager in the eighties, herpes was like 
Because yeah. this is this is the problem. This is the whole problem with my life. In the 1970s, when I was growing up, there was like all these beautiful women with feathered hair and flower print dresses around and all these hippies and everything was really cool. And I was like, oh, I cannot wait until I'm a teenager. I absolutely cannot wait. And then I was a teenager and it was the 80s. And what a ripoff because it was all like <laughs> – leggings and mall hair and and like, like I thought to, you were going to say herpes. Well, and herpes, well, that, it, yes. that's the that's the crowning thing. It was all before that it was all like free love and everything. I mean, free, I mean, yep. when I saw hot the, going with the hot you talked about how much you hated hot tub time machine, I think in a previous podcast Andrea. Who did? Andrea, oh. Andrea. I did. No, I like oh, I love uh, oh. hot tub time machine. Oh, I think I'm it's sorry. hilarious. I'm sorry. We can I, we can remain friends. Uh, yes, we can. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize deeply. But anyway, there's a line in there when he says, somebody's like, oh, come on, we're back in the 80s, man, it's free love. And then John Cusack is, somebody's like, no, no, that's the 60s, no. dummy. And then they're like, we, have like, we had like Reagan and AIDS. I hate this decade. It's like all irritated. And that's exactly how I felt. When I got to the 80s, I was like, what a ripoff. What happened yeah. to all the girls in the flower print dresses and the feathered hair? And then you had herpes, which is like, guess what? You know all the sex that your older brothers and sister had? That you know, yeah. not not together, of course, but, but, but they, <laughs> that, that they had like while they were growing up. Well, that's over because now there's yeah. herpes. So every herpes was in like every headline, and so yeah. and, and Alien was a big movie, and so they just put it together. They're like, oh, it's a space herpes, and I was like, oh, that's very clever. That was a clever joke back then. Yeah, I'll it was a clever joke back then. But. I'll tell you, Tom. The other thing I think is legitimately funny about this movie is the robots that are. He's always they're like they give him axes and they have to like chop <laughs> each other and they like never do anything right and he's always just like so like aggravated by the robots. I, I just I don't know. It's I think it's funny. Yeah, I guess I can see that. That irritated me when I was a kid, and it still sort of irritated me watching it now. But it is kind of a clever. I thought it was a clever concept that maybe was a bit overdone in the movie. Just because that's, like, my experience, you know, like, just the other night, like, I was trying to use my, I just want to play Doom on my Xbox, and, like, I can't, it won't let me log into my Xbox, and, like, it's, like, you know, like, I'm, like, just trying to sign into my profile, and it just doesn't work, and it's, like, you you know, it's, it's so frustrating dealing with technology, and I felt like they really, like, cap captured, like, you know, this is what the future would actually be like, you're just trying to get this robot to, like, attack another robot with an axe, and it just doesn't work, and it's so frustrating, you're just, like, standing there, like, come on. I think it's funnier listening to you talk about it than it was watching the actual movie. <laughs> Did anyone wait? So you got, but you guys all said you saw this as kids, right? Did no one else thought it yeah. was the idea of water being the most valuable resource was a cool idea. That's like, brilliant. That was That's... in a lot of uh, '80s science fiction. I think it was uh, in V, V, and V. The final battle it was like they come to Earth for our water. I, that is, yeah, it's a common trope. I think doesn't uh, Paolo Bacigalupi write a lot about that, like water being a a, a resource? Yeah, but I, I no, I'm talking it's, about it's in 1984. About no, 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 yeah, I know. It did. Yeah, I mean, even back it, then, I think I think they're right. I think there there was that did seem like a familiar trope even back then. But I have to admit, when you again, when you read the plot of this out, it was like, oh, there's like this, you know, there's these pirates and they haul these ice as big frozen masses and like. uh I don't know. I, I thought the whole – the way you described the plot, I was like, wow, I'd really like to see that movie. That's not the movie I felt like I watched. I felt like I just watched like this goofy, like poorly executed, low-budget thing. But but no, I, I mean, that's a cool concept. I'd love to see it. 
Yeah, so I, I think it would be if someone remade this like with an actual budget, because like as a kid, I didn't even notice, but it was weird going back and watching it now. And I'm like, wait, all the bad guys are just wearing what are obviously like off the shelf costumes from some Robin yeah. Hood movie or something, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was that weird medieval knights pirates mashup that just like it was <laughs> it was so random. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of random. The the chainmail and stuff was really yeah. bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again, that's my, my been a, a, like a low budget thing. Like the studio was just like, what are we going to do? We can't afford to build, like design, like new stormtrooper costumes. And like, well, they're filming like a Robin Hood. Go to wardrobe. Yeah, go to wardrobe. <laughs> just, yeah. just walk through and find some stuff. Like, well, what about if we just yeah. use like chain mail? It's, it's a surprise <laughs> that they didn't have like coconuts they were banging together. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I, I can't even like, you know, if you haven't seen, if you didn't see this as a kid, apparently even if you did see this as a kid, you probably won't like it. But I don't know. I, there's just something about this movie that just, you know, I loved it as a kid and I, I still think it's funny now. It's not great, but. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was, I thought I was going to watch it and laugh as hard as I did back then. But yeah, it just, it didn't capture me the way it did. It's, you know, it's been 30 years. My sense of humor has changed a little. That's good. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, clearly because you know, script editor on Conan O'Brien, but but I, I I mean I repressed the memory of this movie somehow. This was like a traumatic experience to me. I, I didn't. I watched <laughs> I watched this whole thing and I was like, I know for a fact I saw this thing in the theater, and there are certain things that I remember from it. But I I don't. The whole thing I didn't. I had blocked out, and I was glad I blocked it out. And now I watched it again, and I'm like, but funnily enough, like I. I I've written notes on it so I could remember like what I watched, but I really can't remember much of it anymore either right now already yeah. already now it's fading quickly so i'm yeah I'm, I'm recuperating nicely all right well so we're pretty much out of time um i don't know how overall um how'd you guys feel about watching these movies as opposed to the uh awesomely bad fantasy movies was it like pretty much the same experience or was it different andrea well i i guess it was a similar experience i i I think I probably in, maybe enjoyed the fantasy movies a little more. Just, uh, you know what? It, I think it was equally. This one, this series of movies had, you know, Zardoz, which was genuinely painful to get through for me. So that was one thing. None of But the, aren't you glad you saw it? <laughs> I, I really don't think I am. I, I cannot say that it was a pleasant experience. Um, yeah, I I never needed to see that. I'm I'm just glad I saw it because people post that picture of Sean Connery in yes. that outfit so often, and now I don't have to wonder like what, what no. the fuck is that. Now you know. But no, I'm still asking what the fuck is that. There's, yeah. like there's still no explanation still for the red diaper. Like why? Why was that a thing? Oh God. Yeah. Um. If I never see that movie again, um, I will never see that movie again, pretty much is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but for me watching, even though I've seen Flash Gordon and Buckaroo Banzai a million times, it's still a pleasure to watch both of those films. Um, and then, you know, uh, what, what, what were the other, Buck Rogers, wow, that was painful kind of too. But in a, in a sort of amusing looking back on how bad 80s television was, um, it was an interesting thing, but you know, I, I, I think I enjoyed, I, I think it was an equal thing for me, except for Zardoz. That was, that was horrendous. That was a terrible experience. <laughs> uh, Matt, how did, how did these movies for you compare to the, the last panel we did? 
Well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a science fiction guy. Um, so I thought I would like the science fiction ones better. I, I really didn't, except for Flash Gordon. Um, Flash Gordon, I, I can watch anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, as bad as Zardoz was, I'm glad I saw it because there's just some batshit crazy things going on there <laughs> that I've not seen in any other film. And I'm just like, okay, all right, that was crazy. Like, I thought the film was horrible, but I kind of am glad I saw like these, these little, these separate scenes were just sort of like, okay, I'm going to give the, I'm going to give the writer director credit for, for, for being bold in that way. Um, you know, the, the other, uh, the other movies, I, like I, I said, I wasn't super enthralled with, but yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's always fun to go back and, and kind of have that moment of nostalgia. And th- there's always that danger, right? Because you go back and you rewatch, uh, something that you loved as a kid and that you haven't seen in a couple decades or more. And then you go back and you're like, Oh, I'm going to love this. I'm going to love this. Uh, and you're like, Oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. oh no. Um, so, you know, a couple times, uh, I think with ice, ice pirates, I was like, Oh yeah, I definitely, definitely remember this differently. Um, yep. uh, you know, Buck Rogers, like I said, I was super excited to watch that show as a kid. And now I just, I really can't stand most of it. Um, yeah. but you know, it's still, it's still kind of cool to go back and, and revisit that stuff and, and see how it's, it's, you know, they, they obviously were taking stuff from, you know, many decades in the past and re-envisioning it. And it's, it's, you could see how this is influencing stuff down the line and the next generation of stuff. So it was just fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's interesting just as, as a time capsule, these, these movies to think of what, you know, cause, you know, when I was growing up, you always thought of film and TV science fiction as being like pretty shitty overall. And, you know, and, and people would make fun of it. And you're like, no, but the, the novels are really good. I mean, there would, there'd be, you know, <laughs> yeah. some good, good ones every once in a while, like aliens or whatever. But I mean, um, I, I do think that this really reminds you of what, you know, Hollywood science fiction used to be. So relentlessly, it was the sort of like, you know, pulp stories, the sort of seventies eco disasters stories. And then the like people trying to replicate the success, you know, sort of like, studio hacks trying to replicate the success of star wars right um and i guess in that sense i mean I, like i said i wasn't crazy about adventures of buckaroo bonsai but it's none of those things you know it's uh you know it's trying to be art i mean kevin smith makes this point in in, in this thing i watched he's like this is an art <laughs> he's like this is an art movie you know it's, <laughs> it's it's like somebody's artistic vision you know it's not cynical it's not trying to be popular or to make money particularly you know it's, it's like this is somebody's vision um and sort of points the way toward some of the better stuff i guess that we would you know fortunately get down the line well i feel also that watching these movies that are gloriously bad um that it makes you appreciate the movies from that period that are that are really good right so you you like oh wow you know you look at these and then you compare them to movies that you like of that era and you're like you could really see you know with the stand how they stand out so you mean it's like it's like hitting yourself in the face with a piece of wood it feels good when you stop <laughs> yeah exactly okay. there's less moaning just like know. zardoz i don't know if that's a reason to watch these movies well- I'm trying to think of like the good movies that are contemporaries of these, like I guess um, Blade Runner and oh. Aliens. Well, the first Terminator, right? 
First Terminator, yep. And the first Alien and Back to the Future. Back to the Future was 1985. I mean, that was was a long time ago. It was a contemporary of these movies, but it was just awesome. Yeah. No, I agree. There were a lot, a lot, a lot of good science fiction movies in the 80s, yeah. but but uh, there were, you're right, there were just a lot of others trying to ride along on the coattails, and I, yeah. watching all of these things, I, I felt, you know, Dave, you were asking if, if we like these or the fantasy better, I like the fantasy better, and, and like Matt, I'm a science fiction guy, so I was a little surprised by that, but I think I just don't have a lot of patience for bad science fiction, and honestly... I started like more and more singing the theme song to Mystery Science Theater 3000 in my head because I yeah. felt like Joel halfway through this. I'm like, they're making me watch these cheesy movies and probably Dave is monitoring my mind somehow. <laughs> With a crystal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so so is that your final thought, Tom, or do you have any other final thoughts? No, that's it. Yeah. Uh, one, one final thought is uh, I failed to mention about Zardoz. It kind of got reborn as uh, Eon Flux. It's, it's sort really? Of a, it's sort of a similar. Well, it's a, you know, it's the the elites who are immortal, but they're they can't reproduce, and they're they're gonna die off if they don't do something. And then in comes this like warrior who starts. I like, mean, is there a direct line, or is it just that you're just saying it's a similar story? No, I'm just saying it's very similar. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Well, oh, I, I, lo- that, I love Eon Flux. That's yeah. a bit of a uh, of a. A trope of people who are immortal and ca- but can't it reproduce is. and just get bored uh, of being immortal. It is, but the way they have like the hippie style garden city oh, in, the, in the middle of the wasteland, and it was it was all it was more than just the trope they reused. They reused like a lot of things from Zardoz, and they left all the crazy out. Um, which made it a you know more of like. Did a, they? I mean, have you seen well, the flux recently? <laughs> well, okay, maybe they didn't leave the crazy out, but but the I mean you know it was cool. Like the original MTV thing was a, it was a showed up as a serial cartoon on MTV, and yeah. and that was closer to Zardoz, and then they cleaned it up and made it into like a Hollywood blockbuster. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen it actually. Mm, is that- I wouldn't I wouldn't see the Hollywood version. You've seen the cartoon though. The cartoon is fucking yeah. awesome. I yeah. might have seen part I I don't think I watched it on any regular basis so I can't. They would air it regularly so I would just watch one random episode and not understand the that there was an actual plot yeah. arc. Yeah. Yeah. Because hmm. it, it it they would it was like what's happening? What's going on? There's this weird didn't she die in a lot? Of- All right, oh, this this is getting too spoilers. Off topic, but, but just just like yeah, if you haven't seen the original animated Neon Flux shorts, there, Eon you one hundred percent have to watch them. I'll just say yeah. in terms of uh, reusing stuff, I, I forget there were like a lot of these movies reused footage from other movies. Uh, the example that sticks out in my mind is in the ice. Is it in Ice Pirates? The shot of the futuristic city is like just reused from Logan's Run. Uh, huh. Like that's how uh, low yeah, budget yeah. it was. Huh. huh. Well, that's. I just want to bring up one thing. Uh, I went to one of those riff track things in the theater um, like a year ago, and the movie they were making fun of was called Space Mutiny. This was truly one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's from the 80s as well. Um, and if you ever get a chance to f- watch it, just because it's so horrendous. But we're watching this movie, and all of a sudden they cut to like an uh, outside shot of like the spaceship they're on. And it's the Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And then, and I'm like, wait, what just happened? That's the Galactica. And then later on in the movie, they, they do it again. And then they, they use the, the ships, the Vipers. I mean, they used all this, you know, extra footage it from Battlestar Galactica. And I'm like, yeah. how did, how did, what was it? ABC? How did they license that 
footage from ABC. It was so bizarre. So I think in the 80s, they must have done that a lot. But it was just the weirdest experience seeing that. Yeah, so I think that's a big takeaway here is, you know, these movies, uh, some of them, depending on your tastes, uh, can be a lot of fun. But we're, we're very fortunate to be in a, in an era yeah. where you don't see, uh, you know, shots from another movie, you know, plugged yeah. into something, something you would have seen in the theater. <laughs> and we should all be thankful for that. All right, so let's, uh, let's wrap this up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Tom Gerenser, and Matthew Kressel. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Tom Grenzer, and Matthew Kressel for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I also want to thank Sean Carroll for sponsoring today's show. Remember to check out his new book, Something Deeply Hidden, over at preposterousuniverse.com. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.